0: Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Greetings, everybody. This is David Avocado-Wolf, and I'm joined today by Dr. Joel Furman, who's a board-certified family physician who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. He's the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Live. His latest book, Super Immunity, published by HarperCollins, is a must-read for those of you interested in cutting-edge scientific research on how we can become totally resistant to colds, flus, and other types of infections. Dr. Furman is going to be a featured speaker at our upcoming Longevity Now conference in Costa Mesa, California. Um, He's going to be speaking on Saturday, May 19th. So the event is going to be from May 18th through the 20th. And if you can join us that weekend, we'd love to have you. He's also going to be participating in a panel at that event as well. So he's going to be our keynote speaker, and he's going to be on our our panel. The website to register for that event, if you're interested, is thelongevitynowconference.com. All four of those words together, thelongevitynowconference.com. All right. Well, Dr. Berman, thank you for joining us. I know you are very busy, so let's dive right into it. Great to be here. Thank you so much, and, and we're so excited to have you. By the way, I just a quick question before we get started. You're you're practicing out of New Jersey, is that right?
1: Yes, my practice is in Flemington, New Jersey.
0: Flemington, New Jersey. I'm from originally from Toms River, so um, from one New Jersey to another. Welcome to our interview here, and uh, we know that New Jersey is actually the best state in the union.
1: <laughs> where Do you live in California where, where do you live in California?
0: Well, I don't live in California anymore. I'm oh. now in Hawaii, and I'm sometimes in Ontario, Canada. So,
1: Oh, Hawaii. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Yeah.
0: A lot of transplants from New Jersey to Hawaii. I'm amazed at how many times I run into people who are originally from Ocean City or Long Branch or Montclair, New Jersey, and they're living in Hawaii now. It's just incredible.
1: Well, that's, I'm glad they're having glad you all guys are having a great time and it's such a nice life. That's nice to be stay to keep yourself nice and healthy and enjoy your life.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's what you're doing in your book, Super Immunity, is teaching us about our immune system and about how to stay healthy. Let's let's jump into this thing about cancer. I think in your book you put an incredible statistic that between 1935 and 2005 cancer rates rose every single year for 70 years straight. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you think this is happening and what's the story about cancer?
1: Well, you know, that's right. And the bad news is, of course, is that cancer rates are still continuing to rise all over the world, especially because we're exporting American way of life and people get desirous of having the type of diet that we eat and then they eat, you know, obviously eat more processed foods, more fast foods, more meats, animal products, whatever that, that we're doing that created this cancer epidemic, they're doing it too. So even though cancer rates have leveled off and gone down slightly in the United States, as a whole, statistics um, demonstrate that cancer rates worldwide continue to, to skyrocket up at an increased rate. So we haven't leveled off worldwide yet, which is, you know, um, and, and I'm suggesting that just like heart disease and strokes and dementia, are preventable and high, high blood pressure and heart disease, as you know, are reversible. But likewise, um, cancer is a disease that's also preventable. And you know, we could say in um You know, in 95% of cases or more than 90% of cases, we could win the war on cancer. And winning the war on cancer doesn't mean no cancer, but it means we dramatically can stop those cancers from occurring. And then if we could clean up our environment and do other things, we could really just about wipe cancer out to very small levels. Obviously, our eggs can be damaged. The eggs that make us, that live in our mother's womb, live there for for your mother's whole life until you're born. In other words, those eggs are formed formed in the ovaries when the ovaries are being formed when the um in the first few months of life when your mother was being when her nails and body was being formed in her her mother's womb the point is is that when you're born at the when your mother's at the age of 25 and you're born you've been already alive for 25 years living in eggs your egg has been living in her body so when you are 50 years old you're really 75 years old not 50 years old when you're 25 years old you're really 50 years old And the egg has the potential to have been damaged due to to your mother's influence and bad health habits, It's not just what you do. Um, So, for example, when a child gets chronic lymphocytic leukemia at the age of four years old, you know, we're linking back now to the diet the mother ate even before she conceived the child and her consumption of luncheon meats and lack of vegetables in the diet and, lack you know, that affects the child's risk of cancer. I don't want to make it seem like cancer is that difficult to prevent us from getting because we know now that there are certain foods that have dramatic protective effects against cancer. And I, should, I really should um, preface that and say that it's that the diet style that people eat in the modern world is so cancer-causing that it appears that a natural wholesome diet consisting of natural immune-supporting and immune-boosting foods is so healthfully, but it's really that it's really just getting back to basics that when we live in a diet style that's best adapted to the health of the human species and the design of the human species, then we're not, it's not natural to develop heart disease, to get demented, or to develop cancer. Those are very unnatural diseases that hardly ever occurred in human history. Uh, they're blossomed due to this pheno- modern phenomenon because we're eating a diet style that's so abhorrent and so different to the design and needs of the human body. Um, So, I guess the basic answer to your question is that as science has advanced, we've learned how the immune system functions, and we've learned that the immune system... In order to function normally, just to function, it's not, you know, the book is called Super Immunity, but in really, you couldn't sell a book if I just called it Normal Immunity or Normal Immune Function, but in reality, it's Normal Immune Function. When we eat normally, we have a normal immune function, and a normal immune system protects us against cancer. It protects us against autoimmune diseases. It's, it's protective. The body is a miraculously, you know, protective piece of equipment. And when we eat green vegetables, and we eat mushrooms, and we eat berries, we eat seeds, we eat tomatoes, we eat natural foods that are on the planet. And lots, you know, we we supply ourselves with micronutrients the body needs to normalize immune function. You had to create an abnormal immune function. You had to have created nutritional. You know, abnormalities to enable the DNA to break, to, to cause methylation defects, to cause the body to develop the free radicals and the buildup of toxic waste products that eventually leads to cancer. So we should see the, the freedom from cancer as just being normal and natural.
0: So there's two things kind of built into what you're saying, and, and I obviously hear the theme about diet, and here's where I go with those two things. One is is that there's natural protective substances in vegetables, in foods. Um, That's one side. But then the other side that, that I'm kind of curious about, too, and it's what my research has shown, is just the exposure that we get through the food to the environmental chemicals, right? It's kind of like if we clean up our diet, we cut and limit that exposure. For example, let's say we're eating like lunch meats or something that are massively loaded with nitrates and God knows what kind of hormones are in the animals, and God knows what the animals ate and how many chemicals they ate and all that kind of stuff. So there's a cutoff of the exposure, and then at the same time, we're getting the protective substances in the food. So it's kind of a double win. Is that kind of what you're driving at?
1: Absolutely. You said that very succinctly and clearly. That's absolutely true. And the other thing to remember, you know, so we're, we're talking here about this new science, which I report in the book, which shows that particular foods have certain, we call them phytochemicals and isothiocyanates, and polyphenols and resveratrols. Resever, all these, fa- these factors that have the ability not just to prevent free radical formation and to prevent the up of advanced glycation end products and other things that age us, but they actually have the ability to fuel mechanisms within the cell to remove damaging chemicals, toxins, and things that could damage us. So that's right, as the conventional food and the conventional environment exposes us to toxins. And as the lack of my, as the diet low in micronutrients allows or permits the buildup of metabolic wastes that eventually age us and predispose us to cancer. So while those things are going on, we're eating foods that are low in micronutrients, such as processed foods and animal products and oils and sugars and all kinds of things that provoke hormonal dysfunction as well. And I guess the number three besides the natural protective substances, the exposure to environmental chemicals, and number three is the hormonal effects that the, Ameri- that the standard diet has to promote cancer as well, which we can talk about that as well. Saying that the, these protective substances also enable the immune system to remove and re, to repair bro, um, damaged DNA and to repair the the um, abnormal metabolic. Chemicals, or should we say the free radicals, advanced placation end products, the the metabolic toxins, as well as the exogenous toxins, the toxins from the external environment that may be, that may damage our cells as well, that the body has the ability to deal with those, to keep them in check, to remove, destroy, and get rid of them before they can be caused damage, if we achieve, you know, what I call comprehensive micronutrient adequacy, if we achieve a a good selection across the board of all the micronutrients the body uses for, for superimmune function.
0: Before we let the subject of cancer go, and, and we're going to we're going to transition over to other aspects of um, of health, let, let, I want to talk about two things. One is just what do you think are from your experience? I mean, you're you're a doctor. You're you're in the trenches all the time, every day. What do you think are the most powerful anti-cancer foods, or superfoods, or herbs that people can take?
1: Um, well, you know, I've, I've... I want people to eat an, an anti-cancer diet style, so I made up a... I first came up with this word, I think um, Marilyn Henner on a commercial I was doing with her mentioned it, and when I started picked up on it, it was the word GOMBS, G-O-M-B-S, and then recently, I've changed it to G-BOMBS, so, so it's just an acronym to make people remember the, the foods I want them to eat on a regular, almost daily basis, so the G-BOMBS stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So I'll go over that again. Um, you know, obviously, green vegetables are for first. Um, and, of course, that, that means we're eating um, cruciferous vegetables, you know, like cabbage and kale and bok choy, and eating some of that raw or chewing it well to, to um, how should I say, um, allow the... Um, when you break down the cells and when you chew or break down the cell wall of a green vegetable, it releases an enzyme called myrosinase that catalyzes a reaction to form the isothiocyanates, the ITCs, with their powerful immune system building and anti cancer effects. So if you um, so we want to chew well and eat some, and get, get some of that myrosinase enzyme activity going on a regular basis. So we, even if you eat some raw vegetables with your cooked vegetables, the raw, the enzyme, the myosinase enzyme in the raw vegetables will help catalyze some of the cooked vegetable conversion to form isothiocyanide. So of course, green vegetables are an important part of the diet. And we have, we need, and, and as a, and if we look at the, the volume and amount, grams per day of green vegetables consumed against rates of can- different cancers around the world, we recognize that you have to get to a, a pretty significant dose of green vegetables a day to get the maximum anti cancer effects. So that's why green vegetables are first. You know, mushrooms and onions unbelievably have powerful anti cancer effects that are kind of shocking to modern scientists. And i always given an example, for example, this, you know, one Asian study that showed that women who ate mushrooms on a daily basis had a 64% reduction of breast cancer compared to women who didn't. And women who ate the greens or the green tea with the mushrooms on a daily basis had an 89% reduction in breast cancer incidence compared to women who did not eat mushrooms on a regular basis. Onions have been shown in multiple studies in multi- and, and, and case-controlled and, and um, meta analysis people who eat onions regularly have a dramatic reduction between 50 to 80 88 percent of almost all types of cancer beans and berries you know as people know the polyphenols and berries protect the brain but they are also very important blackberries raspberries blueberries you know all these the, the, the berry families are natural food for the human species it contains colorful compounds that have powerful beneficial effects for the bloodstream for the brain and against cancer and then seeds you know, and beans. And we're talking here about, um, you know, flax, chia, hemp, sunflower, sesame. We're talking here about the not just the omega-3 fatty acids, but 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 also factors. And some of these factors, like lignans, have incredibly powerful anti-cancer effects. I mean, some studies have shown that women, for example, who are already diagnosed with breast cancer, when they eat a, a serving, a small serving of lignans a day. Have dramatic—we're talking about seventy percent and more increased, um, decreased risk of mortality. In other words, dramatic increased lifespan, even once they're diagnosed with cancer, from eating lignans every day and from eating lignans on a regular basis. A t- let's say, how should I say this? A tablespoon, a teaspoon, just a teaspoon of of um, flax seeds or chia seeds gives you over. I'll uh, give you about eight milligrams. Of lignans, and even just one milligram a day gives you dramatic protection against against cancer. So we're talking here about having a little bit and having a, a variety. Where it's, it's not just the amount of these foods, it's also the spectrum, of the 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 array of these foods working together that acts synergistically to afford people the opportunity to have dramatic reduction in cancer. And that's what I'm putting. That's what I put together in the book. Of course, is going through all the data, all the studies and giving examples of even people who already have cancer and how powerful the optimally fueled immune system can be to maximize the body's ability to repair. Of course, the more advanced the cancer gets, the longer in life we wait, the more damage to the DNA that occurs, the more we overwhelm the body the ability of an immune system to repair itself and to protect itself. But obviously... This is information that, that is not publicized by the, you know, the, by the news media, by the newspapers, by Time magazine, by the television programs, which is which all, you know, base, even the information we get on television and in, in magazines is based on information that's favorable to the advertisers. And, um, you know, that's why I was able to get a lot of this information out of my PBS television show, on books, on the Internet. And people are learning about it, but, the, but every person needs to know about this. I mean, we need the, the population needs to know, you know, we don't have to make people do anything. They can do whatever they want, but at least they should be properly informed that they don't have to have heart attacks. They don't have to be demented. They don't need to go through angioplasty or bypass surgery. They don't need to have cancer. They don't need to run in and get mammograms and CT scrams and all, you know, all these medical testing and medical technology performed on them. They can live a healthy life and it's based on their personal choices and they should know that have the right and the choice to stay healthy and then let, they can do what they want. But, it's, but you know, the problem here is people don't even have the opportunity to get the right information to make the right, to, to, be able to be able to have the opportunity to make the right choice for their own life and I consider that medical malpractice. Because the first thing we learn in medical school is the word informed consent. And that people have to be given the options, the choices of all the, you know, what's of, of all the possibilities available to them. And they, they should make the choice for themselves.
0: Let's backtrack up here too on the mushrooms issue. Mushrooms are very popular in, in our little niche of the health community. What, what mushrooms do you think are the best for us and have the most powerful anti-cancer effects?
1: Well, you know, I used to think years ago... You know that you know I used to name and you know give all the the, the best mushrooms. You know shiitake, maitake, trumpet. You know, you know all the all the exotic mushrooms, all these protective phytochemicals in them. But in the last few years, more studies have come out showing that even simple mushrooms, even the cremini mushrooms, even the portobello mushrooms, even the white button mushrooms, the least expensive mushrooms, they all have beneficial effects. And now I'm of the opinion that. They have different beneficial effects and probably if you're going to ask me ideally, then probably ideally it would be best to have a variety of mushrooms in your diet and that would include some of the expensive ones but some of the less expensive ones as well and it's so that, and, and the fact that any type of mushroom you eat, even if you eat some mushrooms versus none, is, is a benefit to you because even the least expensive mushrooms like the white button mushrooms have powerful anti-angiogenous effects angiogenesis effects. And they also have, and you know, there's a different amount of aromatase inhibition, but almost all the mushrooms have aromatase inhibition effects as well. So I don't think it's, you know, so, it's, so, so all of these are, they're all useful to, our, to us.
0: Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into those two things with you. That's, those are some really interesting words. Um, angiogenesis, let me see if I've got the definition right here, Dr. Furman. Um, by the way, if you're joining us right now, I'm, do, I'm David Avocado-Wolf, I'm joined by Dr. Furman, and we are um, having a conversation about cancer and health, and we're getting geared up for this longevity conference coming up May 18th through 20th in Orange County, California at the Orange County Hilton. Um, You brought up a great word here, which is angiogenesis. So I believe that angiogenesis means blood vessel formation, and it's usually used in context of like tumor vascularization or when, when cancers pull blood supply to themselves. Um, so probably in, in the context of medicine, we want to block angiogenesis. Is that right?
1: That's correct because once we're fully grown, you know, the the, the facts are is that the, the diet style, the high sugar refined food diet style, Promotes obviously secretion of insulin and growth hormone, and those actually promote formation of the growth of red blood cells called angiogenesis, and it enables tumors when formed. When a cell becomes damaged and becomes dysplastic and starts to replicate and starts to move towards becoming cancerous, it secretes signals, hormonal signals and neural and um, transmitters that that allow that that enable blood vessels to grow into the cells to fuel their growth. Without the angiogenesis promoters, these cells can't replicate, can't cause damage and can't really become an active cancer. And mushrooms, onions, green vegetables, berries say no. Especially mushrooms say no. You're not going to grow those blood vessels to fuel dysplastic or abnormal cells. We're not going to let abnormal cells replicate and divide. We're going to prevent those cells from getting a blood vessel supply. So they can't get nourishment, oxygen and nutrients to, to multiply and grow. So sure, angiogenesis promotion is good when you're growing as a baby in your mother's womb or when you're a child, but once you're an adult, we, want to, you know, we don't want to promote the growth of blood vessels to fuel new growth on the body because that new growth is not favorable. Obviously, you know. And one-on-one thing I want to say to make this clear is that okay. the anti-angiogenesis effects of mushrooms doesn't prevent the angiogenesis promo- that would happen if you cut yourself or, or got into a car accident and had to heal, but it particularly protects against and prevents the abnormal growth of red blood cells. It doesn't allow tumors and cancers to promote um, to fuel themselves with new angiogenesis so it's it's actually particularly directed against abnormal angiogenesis just like mushrooms have um factors like called leptins that bind to abnormal cells, labeling them for the immune system to be able to recognize them and remove them before they become dysplastic or damage the body. It's almost as if the mushroom has been, as in the, in the development of the human species, the mushrooms supply us with certain protective features that work hand-in-hand hand with normal immune function to make, it very, to make our body very cancer-resistant.
0: This is interesting. Obviously, I'm in agreement with you. I'm a big fan of mushrooms. And more and more, I have to say, you brought up a really great point about the normal mushrooms, like button mushrooms. Button mushrooms are very powerful anti-estrogen substances. The most powerful, apparently, according to the research I've been doing. And and this has been... This whole thing on mushrooms has been smeared by Dr. Young. I'm, I think you're probably familiar with Dr. Young, the pH miracle. And he's saying no, no, no on mushrooms. I really feel like... This smear on mushrooms has got to be lifted. Well, can you speak to what Dr. Are you familiar with Dr. Young's whole take on mushrooms?
1: I, I've read some people who ha- were afraid of mushrooms, you know, because of yeast and other reasons, but, you know, or something like this or a fungus, but this is not an opinion. I'm not just, um, you know, reporting, you know, I like gave this person mushrooms, they did well or they did badly. It's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, 20 years of studies ongoing and and more studies cumulative showing only one, only beneficial effects of mushrooms and dramatic and market beneficial effects that are surprising even to the researchers. So, in order to have an opinion, you at least have to have some scientific support for that opinion. And I'm and we're and I'm here as being the reporter, and saying that the invested the really fascinating investigations are overwhelmingly positive, and people have a right to know about these investigations because all you know because you know on PBS for example, I'm not affected by um, by what I you know by what the well, there's no advertisers to please that tell you you can't say anything. But you have to say something. You have to have science, scientific backing to say something. We have to, you know, so I have to produce right. some studies to show it's true. But the, the point here is that you know, I'm, as I write a book or write an article, I want to reference it properly with the proper scientific research and say when something, doesn't ha- when, you know, when something maybe is not well-supported, but maybe it's suspected and we want to still do this just to play it safe, or when something is heavily supported and becomes you know, um, documented at the port of heart to disagree with. And I think at this point, it would be impossible to disagree with the fact that mushrooms are a beneficial food for human immune function and human health.
0: Right on. Uh, that's awesome. So glad to hear that. It's amazing. Um, you, you mentioned a very interesting word earlier and that was the um, natural aromatase inhibitors you said something about aromatase inhibitors let's talk about that a little bit and and there's obviously a cancer and hormone connection that we're figuring out now I'd really love to kind of dig into your knowledge and unpack that a little bit about about how you feel concerning the aromatase inhibitors and their effect on hormonal health and uh, against cancer especially hormonal cancers
1: Right, and, and obviously, you know, people may be aware that the aromatase is an enzyme that um, that obviously is involved in the estrogen-testosterone pathway. And when we inhibit aromatase, we inhibit the production of the estrogens, raising estrogens, especially estradiol and testosterone, that are the ones that promote prostate and breast cancer. So the aromatase inhibitors, and it's like we discussed with mushrooms and other factors, and of course. We're saying here the green vegetables and berries and beans and mushrooms and onions, you know, do have angiogenesis effects. But mushrooms are very powerful. Likewise, there are other foods that have some aromatase inhibitions, but mushrooms seem to be the most powerful. And it seems like these nutrients that we get, these aromatase-inhibiting nutrients that we get, enable the body to supply us with the amount of hormones we need with, without allowing those hormones to stimulate the breast tissue or prostate tissue that can cause breast tenderness, you know, PMS symptoms, fibroid development, um, promoting cancer, enlargement of the prostate, prostate cancer and breast cancer. In other words, with the presence of these foods prevents the hormones from getting to high levels and also prevents the hormones from stimulating hormonally sensitive tissue overstimulating, hormonally sensitive tissue. So it protects the breast against the stimulation from estradiol. It helps convert the the estradiol to estriol to help the body remove the excess easier. And it also protects the breast against being stimulated by the estradiol to promote cellular replication and growth, which could result in cancer. So it's another very important factor here because we're finding that the um, you know, the the quadrat of hormones, IGF-1, testosterone, estradiol, and insulin, that the American population has an incredible high level of circulating IGF-1, testosterone, estradiol, and insulin. And the combination of those four hormones dramatically promotes cancer. And so we have to construct a diet style that effects that allows us to have a lower, more normal level of those hormones. We want enough hormone to function normally, but not excess that promotes cancer. And, more, and the interesting facts here are that when the body's healthy and everything's functioning well, we don't need that much. We don't need so much of these. We don't need as much testosterone as we thought we need. The body utilizes it more efficiently. We don't need as much estrogen. When we have a lower level of circulating estrogen all through life as a woman, her body builds up more estrogen receptors and then after menopause, when her estrogen levels drop, she doesn't lose a bone mass and she doesn't develop so much postmenopausal symptoms because she was more accustomed to a low level of estrogens for years and years before she went through menopause. The point is, is that the right foods, we should say, have anti-estrogen effects. They keep our estrogen levels lower. We have to be cognizant. Of, of the hormonal effect on cancer. And when we keep our body weight favorable, we keep our muscle to fat ratio favorable, when we exercise and we eat right, and we eat these foods that affect our hormones properly, we don't have to worry about, we have fear of cancer. We don't have to be afraid of getting breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, because the body already is adequately protected by, the, by, our, by our lifestyle and diet style.
0: Let me jump in to clarify something here. I just want to kind of get your take on this and, and also clarify something to our, our audience here um, when we have high fat level in our body the, the fat itself acts like a gland and it causes aromatization right it causes estrogen production it's like an estrogen producing gland is that how you understand it? Is that why it's really important to lose weight to keep our hormones in balance
1: absolutely That's one of the important reasons. So, what you're saying is absolutely true that fat cells produce estrogen. Fat cells, you know, we think of of the pancreas secreting insulin, but the fat cells also secrete insulin and also hormones. And they also, fat cells also secrete angiogenesis promoters that help, that need to grow blood vessels to promote the growth of their fat. You can't grow fat cells unless you're promoting angiogenesis, growth of blood blood cells to bring nutrients and oxygen to the fat to sustain itself. So, we should say that the angiogenesis inhibitors also inhibit the the laying down and, and maintenance of of the fat, but this, but as you may eat a diet that maintains fat, the fat also has insulin blocking effects, which makes the pancreas then secrete more insulin in response to the in, in, the fat and inhib- the insulin resistance. Um, effects of the fat on your body. So then the pancreas are producing double, four times, five times, eight times as much insulin as a normal person might produce who had a low body fat. And that extra insulin is cancer-promoting and, is, and promotes angiogenesis, actually. So we, we're talking here about, um, we, it's almost as if we, we create a biological mechanism that couldn't be better designed to create cancer, like breast cancer and prostate cancer, had we designed it. The point is, is that we give people a diet we're full of processed foods, lots of oil, we throw in a lot of animal products, we throw in a lot of sweets, we give them white rice and white flour, we give them to have sugar. It's that the American diet style is so harmful, and then nobody's talking about it while we're wearing pink ribbons and bows trying to give to uh, publicize people should get more mammograms. And nobody's dis- talk, discussing, or obviously some of us are, but very, but relatively... <laughs> no, not enough. No, not enough, right? But relative to, the, to the, what the people on the street generally walking around know, that how, how much their lifestyle is so cancer-promoting and how protective the anti-cancer lifestyle is.
0: Okay, let, let's, let's jump to another issue here, and this is also associated with the hormonal problems. It's, it's been connected to cancer, and that's this whole discussion of methylation. And if maybe you can define methylation for our listeners and, and kind of give them your take on, on how important it is to be methylating properly um, through our liver.
1: All right. Well, let me just say um, methylation is very simple. Um, you know, the addition of a, you know, of a, of a, of a you know, a carbon or, you know, a, a carbon with, with hydrogen bonds on it to the DNA. And the body, the DNA, the function of the DNA is turned on or turned off by methyl groups. And those methyl groups are set by our genetic code on the DNA. And as we age or eat improperly or cause damage to our tissues, we get the, the, the DNA coding gets methylated and demethylated. In other words, it gets methylated in places there shouldn't be methyl groups on it, and it gets methyl groups taken away from spots where it should have methyl groups on it. But the overwhelming effect of a bad diet is that the DNA gets exposed to increased deposition of methyl groups where those methyl groups should not be. And one interesting study, for example, and, and one um, point here that, that I want to make is that the consumption of green vegetables um, correlates dramatically with the protection of the DNA from being methylate, overly methylated. And one, what one study we point out, of course, is a study that compared uh, Polynesian smokers on the Fiji Islands to the Polynesian smokers of the, who live on the Hawaiian Islands and they found that the the, the rate of, cigarette, of lung cancer was so low on Fiji, even though they smoked much more, because they had such a higher intake of green vegetables, which protects the, 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 um, the DNA from the damaging of carcinogenic effects of cigarette smoke. Likewise, we're finding that if we look at the lung tissue, the squamous cells that are coughed up by smokers, we find that, you know, we can see that the methylation of their, uh, you know, because we can look at smokers' tissues and look at the DNA, because we don't have to biopsy or cut pieces out of the body. We can just cough up cells out of the lung and we can test it in their sputum. And then we can put these smokers on a high green vegetable diet and we can look at their sputum again for cells that are heavily methylated and the methylation of the cell or the methylation defects, we should say, in the cell that are now can be measured by scientists can actually tell you how much uh, how, what your risk of cancer is. So we could tell these smokers by their cough sputum, by the cells in their coughing, how, how, what their high risk of developing lung cancer in the near future might be. And that, that, of course, is, and we're determining that, that's very dependent on what they eat, particularly, obviously, the green vegetable consumption that, that affects methylation.
0: So, so that's bringing us back again to the, the g bombs idea, which just for our listeners, let's go over that again. It's greens. Beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds, right? Right. And beans, let's talk about beans a little bit. What are your favorite beans? I mean, I had somebody the other day who's really into chickpeas based on their mineral content. I mean, this guy was just absolutely thinking that chickpeas are the best thing ever. Um, what are your favorite beans? I'm not a bean person. You know, I never really ate beans, um, even though they may have been good for my heart. What, what do you think are the great beans out there for us to look at?
1: Well, you know, uh, th- again, you know, you know, red kidney beans, azuki beans, black beans, navy beans, you know, um, l- l- lentils, I mean, all these beans have beneficial effects. And the reason I'm so um, positive on them is because so many of Americans are overweight, have metabolic syndrome, have diabetes, are looking to lose weight. And the beans give them sustained, how should I say it, sustained ability to, p- to reduce their appetite. To prevent them from wanting to eat more food. It sustains their hunger drives. It's very effective to retarding the effects of detoxification, or what I call toxic hunger, on the person who's not used to eating healthily, transfers over to a healthy diet, and now is craving their junk food and just feels like crap because the body's detoxifying. And the beans are, are, they're high in, relatively high in plant protein they um, sustain you well, they're digested very slowly because they contain a slowly digestible starch which is hard for the enzymes to break down their carbohydrate which feeds their, their um, carbohydrate into the body very slowly over hours and hours. And another major portion of their starch component is resistant starch that is enzymatically resistant to digestion which doesn't get broken down by the body's digestive enzymes, rather it gets broken down by, by the bacteria That live in the distal part of the small intestines and early part of the large intestines, converting the resistance starch into fatty acids and those fatty acids like butyrate have an anti-cancer effect, an anti-inflammatory effect and they also reduce appetite, lower insulin response, increase fatty acid oxidation by the body and fat burn. In other words, I'm saying here that when you take rice, potato, bread out of the diet you know, call, you know, we take a sweet potato out of it, we take those foods out, and instead we say, eat more of your starches from beans, well people get better glucose, better glycemic control, better diabetic control, they lose weight more easily, it sustains their appetite, and it, it makes them, helps them gravitate towards a healthier weight. Because so many people have eaten so poorly for so long, and they've caused so much damage to their body, and we want to encourage them to fix, we want to fix their body up, and I think that you know that beans become a very favorable aspect to the diet when you make a bean mushroom burger, or you add beans to the, you know, the breakfast oats or whatever it is you're doing. The point is, is that beans become this wonder food that's also linked to longevity. In any long-lived society or long-lived people, we always find the consumption of beans are linked to enhancements and longevity. And I think as you pass the age of 85 or, you know, when your protein assimilation goes by, goes down, the fact that you're, you know, adding some beans to your diet to get increased protein assimilation um, is a beneficial factor.
0: Let's suppose that we had a perfect situation without the GMO problem and um, chemicals, fertilizers and all that. In that perfect situation, do you think soybean is it good food? A bad food? Should it be consumed? Should it not? How should it be consumed? What are the thoughts on soybeans in particular, other than the GMO problem?
1: Exactly. I mean, so what you're ins- what you're um, insinuating, which I'm agreeing with, is that if we were eating natural foods in the, you know grown in a natural manner, and we wouldn't you know if we were doing so like a gorilla or a monkey in the woods, they wouldn't just eat one food. They wouldn't sit in front of a fig tree or a banana tree and eat bananas for two weeks straight. They, we, they follow these animals around. They'll travel a mile away to get a different to get variety in their diet. And they, you know, so they have a natural instinctual drive for variety, as do we. And if we ate a variety of natural plant foods in our diet, then certainly there wouldn't be any particular bean that would have to be excluded or any particular, you know, we, we would be fine to eat soybeans or any other bean like that would be good for us. But if you're trying to design a modern vegan diet with isolated soy protein and make it to be where you're drinking soy milk and soy burgers and soy bacon and soy turkey and soy this and soy that, you know, then your diet is going to be, it's not going to be balanced. It's not going to be nutrient rich. It's not going to have a variety of healthy, you know, so the answer to your question is as part of a healthy, well-rounded diet that contains a variety of plant substances in their natural state, then soybeans would be an excellent food to use. But no. But if we process it, the corn is a good food. You know, is an okay food to use. But we don't want to. You know, we don't make a diet to be mostly made up of corn either. We want to have variety in our diet. So, so certainly soy foods in moderation. But it's in moderation because we have variety of other. We have variety in our diet. We don't live on one food alone or mostly one food.
0: You have given us so much, Doctor Furman, and. Um, for all of those folks listening, Dr. Furman's latest book is Super Immunity, out there with Harper Collins. Definitely one you want to pick up. I picked it up. I was amazed. I was really impressed. I have to say, it, I was really impressed. You're putting out some great information, and and it's not just for beginners. It's for anybody who's interested in health. Um, I don't think I'm a beginner in this all this, and I was able to take away a lot of information from that book. So Super Immunity by Dr. Furman is one you want to get. And I really love Dr. Furman the way you said about. This isn't really super immunity. This is normal immunity. We're just trying to get back to normal here. Um, that was very clever. Really enjoyed that. Are there any last words you'd like to say here at the end of our interview to our listeners?
1: No. It's just um, just thanks for the great interview and it was great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you out you know out in California and and obviously um, for all the great work you're doing too.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And what Dr. Furman is referring to is we're going to be together at the Longevity Now conference, Friday, May 18th through Sunday, May 20th at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California. Dr. Furman will be our featured keynote speaker, and he'll be speaking on Saturday, May 19th. He'll also be participating in a panel, probably that'll be later that same evening. So if you're interested, please register at... The thelongevitynowconference.com all four of those words together The thelongevitynowconference.com thanks Dr. Furman wishing you the best day ever and I'll see you in a few weeks